As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. All right, well, welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm sitting with Paul, Tanya, and a special guest, Michelle T. Fertiller. In the last few episodes, we've talked a lot about books and literature, and that was a lot of fun, but school is starting again. And so I think that one of the things on everyone's mind right now is the space that they are now inhabiting. It's those first couple of weeks, whether you're in a school or homeschool, where you start thinking, you're looking at the walls, trying to figure out where everything should go, critiquing the teacher's decisions, those kinds of things. And I think that we have strong opinions about how a space should look, and it really flows from our core ideas about a traditional education. However, before we get there, I want to ask you guys, it's been a little while, and Michelle, it's been never for you (laughs) that I've asked you. No one cares. (laughs) I care. Okay. Michelle? What are you reading right now? So Shane, I'm reading Don Quixote with our Memorial Press Book Club. And I think it's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, there have been times where I have laughed out loud. In fact, before Tanya started, we were at, on a trip and I said, start reading it. You're going to think we were it's in the funny. Airplane. We were in the plane. We were in the plane and then we were at the pool. Yes, but in the plane, I mean, we got, we would be we laughing. Were reading just the the setup. I was reading, mm-hmm. Michelle had already read it, but I was reading just that first set up where he's just literally lost his mind over these books he's read and it was and how he was he had this cardboard visor or something and i was just in hysteric i mean i was just tears were pouring down my face and mm-hmm. michelle i don't know what that woman beside me thought because it was the three of us and and then michelle got tickled because she had already read it and so we were and i would just like look at every two paragraphs i would just break into absolute hysteria over it so what am I reading? Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, because we're reading together. Spanish or English. And I'm reading it in English, but you know, I feel like this is a really good translation. Yeah. And I don't know anything about it, but I feel like all her notes are really good. And so I feel, I don't know, it just feels good to me. Like like we've chosen the right translator. And I'm really enjoying it too. But I don't know, the second half, I mean, it's like, you have to read 500 pages to get through the first part. And then wow. there's 10 years in between when he wrote the second part before there was a second part. So they kind of stand alone. Yeah. But I, I think I, you could stop after the first part. One of the, the, the part now I haven't finished the second part cause I got into the second part right. and then I, we decided to do it all together mm-hmm. and I decided to stop and wait for y'all to catch up and pass me. But right. I felt like the second part was, one of the most um, interesting parts of it, because Cervantes has to basically defend himself of being because there the was an imposter author. book. Yes, there was an imposter book that came out. Oh, wait a minute! Now you're getting ahead. Spoiler alert, people. Well, you actually you need <laughs> to know this background. Like before I started, mm-hmm. before I started reading it, I went and watched a YouTube video of a guy who's like, "Here's what you need to know before you start reading." Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things he said was you had to know that there was a ten year break between parts one and two. Uh, and Cervantes, in, in that 10-year break, somebody else published a book posing to be Cervantes. And so mm-hmm. the second part, like, you're kind of clueless if you don't realize that. But, but he's they're constantly referring to, like, this Don Quixote who's who's not me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's re- that was one of the funniest parts. It is fun. It is good. Time. And there are notes that explain okay. all of that when you get there. Yeah. But, but I think, talking about the translation, I mean, you, for a good translation, you want it to be 
well done in English as well. Mm-hmm. And I think this one. This, I do too. This one is, I really yeah. do. So Shane, I had started reading Nicholas and Alexander just a few weeks before we got our copies of Don Quixote. And I got about three chapters into that and realized that I can't do both of those at the I same time. I love it too, but it was good. I'm Have happy you read to... Nicholas and Alexandra? No. It was one of Cheryl's favorite books. She wanted it in our literature curriculum, and our <laughs> teachers kept saying, this isn't literature, this is history. <laughs> it's, but she loved it so much, and there was no place for it in history. So she was like, we'll just stick it in lit. But she she finally said, I'm going to have to take it out because the teachers just don't want to teach it. So for it, those of us who Russian? haven't read it, mm. yeah. What is it Russian? What it is. It's the it's literally about the czar, the, Nicholas, the son of the mm-hmm. second, maybe, I can't remember. And his wife and their dynasty and the fall of it. And they're they're the ones who got arrested and their children shot in front of them. Anastasia's parents. It was it I think. It was um I mean it's brutal. Mm -hmm. But it's I thought it was really good. It's on I only read it because I knew she wanted me to read it. It's on the, the HLS reading list. That's where I found oh. the title. Oh, and it's on schools? Martin's list, his book list. Mm. What? Which one? Well, one of the many. There are so many. <laughs> one of the many. What are you reading? Well, I've been recently recently reading a book by Eugene Peterson. I don't know if you all have ever heard of him. Yes, he's a theologian, right? Yes, Christian writer. He's a book on Jeremiah called Running with the Horses, which mm-hmm. is a quote from uh, Jeremiah 15. So I've really been enjoying that book. I've been rereading Magician's Nephew. And okay. The Lion, the Witch, mm-hmm. and the Wardrobe. I'm in like chapter 11 of Magician's Nephew because we have an upcoming conversation, which in the publication order, I don't know if this episode will come out first or second, but we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about uh, Narnia again on this episode. And so I was I was prepping for that and reading Magician's Nephew pretty deep into that. Um, and then I got I'm about two thirds of the way through Troy by uh, Stephen Fry, which is a kind of a modern mm-hmm. retelling of... Greek mythology and it's really good. Is it? But I'm kind of obsessed with Greek mythology and the Only the Odyssey. And so it it kind of scratches that itch for me. It's really just a very clear and mildly entertaining uh retelling of the stories. Um and but a very, very clear, I think, which is helpful. Have you read um Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology I'm book? Not. I'm curious how those match up, like if they're very similar. I enjoyed the Norse mythology one. But on our last road trip. Michelle and I actually listened through all of Dollar's Greek myths on audio because it had been a while since mm-hmm. I'd read it and yes. we like had exactly like five hours or something and it was just perfect that we could read the whole thing on audio and we did. Did you, do you think this Stephen Fry one, are the stories the same Yeah, or are they I think different? So. I think so. There's, there's my, he makes some choices because you know, they're differing versions of a lot of right. the stories. Mm-hmm. And so he's definitely making choices here and there, but I think he sticks pretty close to the main storylines that come down and he sticks close to the like the Iliad that that reminds me of years ago when um people when those books came out Percy Jackson those Percy Mm -hmm. Jackson books Mm -hmm. came out and I just you know that's not a genre that I enjoy and so I made Paul read them (laughs) 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 because people kept asking us about them you know were they bad were they okay is it okay for my children to read and you know you can't answer that question until you've read them so I was like (laughs) hey Paul (laughs) <laughs> Want to read some books? Yeah. I think because I, I remember reading the Greek ones and then Romans, even going on to the Egyptian, which nobody asked us about. But I, you know, it was very fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on from what we've been reading, there's a lot of people who are a little stressed right now because they have just gone back to school. So whether they're teachers, students. So one way I think that you can address some of that stress is through place, right? 
you can have an ordered environment. That's something that flows from our kind of idea about a traditional classroom. Tanya, that's just one benefit of prioritizing an ordered environment for learning. What are some of the reasons why you would advocate that people who are thinking about their classrooms right now, about their homeschool kind of environment where the students are doing learning, what are the reasons that people should be intentional and thoughtful about ordering their learning space? The big part, the big thing about it is just not to have the distraction on your walls and or in your space, that it needs to be simple so that you are focused on the curriculum, um, especially with with um, not so much really young students as much as by grammar school. You just you you need to keep them focused. And that's really the main reason we would say they need a place to rest their eyes, especially in a classroom situation. The, the wall where the teacher is speaking from needs to be as minimal as possible so that the teacher is the center of everything. At home, I mean, at home, you if you have a schoolroom, it's the same thing. We started with a schoolroom, finally ended up at the dining room table. So no way was I going to put charts and things up in my dining room. So I did very minimal things then. And really in the it just never, I just never really took the time to put things up. But my, in my classroom, you know, you've got all those walls and it's a that dedicated space. That's all it is. At that point, I, I would have put more on the walls if allowed than I did just because you think, oh, this is relevant. This is relevant because we say only put up the things that are relevant. Well, everything could be relevant you know, every grammar rule that you teach, every punctuation rule, every map for every subject that you teach, that everything that you do could be relevant. And I go in classrooms now and I look around and I think, what is really relevant mm-hmm. here? All of it's good unless it's got, I mean, this cartoony stuff I just cannot deal with or just a bunch of proverbs on the board. You know, once the students have seen those, they just, they don't really see them anymore. It just takes up space. But the maps that you really need um, should be up. And and your grammar, you know, like your Latin grammar charts, I had them up at the beginning because I needed to. The kids needed them. But then I took them down whenever they memorized them because they and then they become a crutch. Or we'd have a quiz and I'd forget to take them down. And my <laughs> students are so honest. They would raise their hands Sometimes. and tell me <laughs> that the charts were up. So I'd have to go turn them around then. But, you know, the things like that was relevant. We were I was teaching those forms and they needed to be up there. We were reciting them every day till they mastered them. So that kind of decision. I just think I've, for years I've said only have up the things that are relevant. And then, and now I look around classrooms and think, well, you could say that all of this is relevant. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you just have to, you really just have to change it up. It may be relevant this month, but maybe it's not relevant next month. Or maybe my students have mastered that. So why do I still have it up there? Sure. Yeah. Michelle, same question. What are some of the other benefits or reasons why you would advocate a more minimal classroom and being thoughtful about classroom decor? Well, basically, when I think about the students that I usually work with, the younger students, um, it makes me think of the difference between the atmosphere at a child's birthday party and the atmosphere for a classroom. If you're at a child's birthday party, it's great to have things dangling from the ceiling, um, all of these bright colors and, and every, you know, games and everything all around the walls. But when you go into a classroom, 
you want your alphabet line, maybe a hundreds chart and some calendar material. Beyond that, you don't need a lot, even in the primary grades. You don't need charts that say spring is here. (laughs) The kindergartners can't read that. You don't need the grammar, the grammar rules. They can't read those, the parts of speech. They're learning to blend A and T and make the word at. They don't need to, to have the nouns and the description of all the parts of speech on the walls. They just need very minimal uh, tools. They do need more tools than, say, a sixth grader. They do. need. The primary classrooms are definitely, um, their walls are definitely busier than a grammar school classroom mm-hmm. should be. And that's okay. And at home, I mean, you just don't really. You need an alphabet line. I feel like you need you an alphabet need the line. alphabet. For the first for the first year, at least for kindergarten. And then you might need it for a, a poster for first grade that shows yeah. manuscript and cursive so they can see the differences. Mm-hmm. But really, there are very few things that really you need on your walls. Um, now most, we keep the cursive up mm-hmm. because, you know, it's a big it. deal to right. us. Right. Paul, same question. Oh, good. I was hoping I got the same question because mm-hmm. I want to wax philosophical on this. Good, good. Um, I think... When when we are we not waxing philosophical? No, I thought I was very, very philosophical. You're very practical. Oh. Okay. Um, but they were talking about wise choices, and they love making those wise choices. And those, philosophy and those is love were, of wisdom. Those so very wise choices. Take um, it back. I think that as <laughs> it, when we're, when we're talking about learning environments, we're talking about you know uh, being in a classroom or in some space where we're trying to learn. What are we trying to do? We're trying to use our head and we often like to prioritize our reason over the very fact that we have a body. And so what we're, what we're, we we like to sort of say, well, we want to throw everything at that reason that we can, Um, you know, whether it's those grammar parts of speech and all that stuff, we think that's all going to help us in our exercise of rationality without realizing, but wait, like I have, arms and legs and and eyes that actually can get saturated um because we think of this reason as something that's sort of infinite we're just trying to shove stuff in there and i think it's important that we think about the fact that we have a body right and this is this is why you know schools that even you know hls we prioritize the academics but we still have recess. We still have PE. Why? Because we have a body. We still have sports. Why? Because we have a body. You've got to think about the whole and the and the recognition of the learning environment is a recognition that we're not angels or spirits that are only thinking about our intellect, but we're also thinking about what does it mean to be in a space, you know, physically while we are trying to do that that learning seems like the argument you're making is similar to what some people would say when they're talking about church buildings, like a reason why a church building maybe ought to be beautiful is because we have bodies and Mm -hmm. that there's something physical about our experience in that place. And that there's some buildings that reflect our attention to God and there are others that do not Mm -hmm. in the same way, maybe a learning environment. There's some that direct us towards the goal and there's Mm -hmm. others that do not. Yes. Yeah. Which And Cheryl always said you couldn't have a classical school in an ugly building. (laughs) (laughs) And she, she went to visit some church with Brian. I mean, this is, 20 years ago when we were out of space at Crescent Hill and she went to visit a church with him and it was a big church and it would have been the perfect space for us because they had plenty of space and they were interested in renting and they came back and I was really excited because I thought we're finally going to have enough space. And um, I said, well, what did you think? And she said, 
It looked like a casino. You can't have a classical school in a casino. <laughs> and it, I mean, it was just off the table. Uh, don't want to take you guys back. All three of you have been teachers. Um, two of the three of you have been homeschool mothers as well. Um, when you were coming to this time of the year, and probably for at least you two, this was months ago you were thinking about this. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I was when you started mm-hmm. and said, you know, everybody's nervous now. N- the nervousness is over if you've started school. Mm-hmm. You're sure. there. You've done it. Well, some, some of us. Um, but okay. <laughs> I feel like your wife will be well prepared, even if you haven't thought about That's it. That's true. That is exactly right. Um, so I want to ask you, Michelle, mm-hmm. go back, think about when you were preparing your class. What were the things that you were thinking about? What were the things that you particularly liked? I think it might be helpful just to share a personal experience of this is how I decorated the classroom. This is how the I chose certain things. And yeah, any anything you remember from when you were setting up your class the first time, whether so, homeschool or school or both. Right. So my first classroom was kind of uh, scarring because I didn't have carpet in my room until the day of Meet the Teacher. <laughs> so we don't want to go back that far. But and most of my color decisions were dictated by the color of my walls because my color was this beautiful purple color that was chosen for me. It's beautiful. It was chosen for me, but it's hard to find things to coordinate with that. So you, you do want to be mindful of colors and make sure your colors coordinate with whatever your wall color is. But um, I I just basically wanted to make sure I had all of the calendar stuff that I needed, but not too much, which is a, a hard trick. I wanted to have a space in my room where I could display student work. And so I had a, an area uh, dedicated to that. Um, I had my alphabet lineup and Everything else was bookshelves and just student desks. I mean, there really was not a lot on my walls. Um, Cheryl always said, as Tanya had mentioned earlier, you have to have a blank areas where the student's eyes can rest. And so the front of my room just had the white, the big whiteboard and the alphabet chart. So I get asked this a decent amount mm-hmm. um, from admin teams when they're th- thinking about this and trying to create a school culture. And they'll ask, you know, how much should be left up to the individual teacher? One, one question like, should a, a school allow a teacher to, or is it best practices for the teacher to have a large influence in deciding what color the walls are going to be in their room? What do you What do you think about that? I don't think it really matters. I think you can find something good to go with any color that's chosen for you. But um, I don't know that you want the teachers to make that individual decision. Yeah, because then you'd have different rooms, different colors, and you have some teachers that are very, I've seen been in some very lovely rooms that look just like a living room. You know, they had little cute quotes on the board about comfort and home and things like that. And there was no, other than the alphabet line, there's no academics, but it, but there was a lot of extra things in there that didn't need to be in there. You know, diffu- I'm, I'm not saying diffusers are bad, but the, you know, the rooms where you have a diffuser and you have um, where it's, of, it is like a living room. It's like a living room mm-hmm. and it's beautiful, but um yeah, what's wrong with having a living room, Michelle? No, I don't know that there's anything wrong with it, but I think we need to separate the feel of home from the feel of a classroom. Yeah. But, I mean, that goes back to that um, article Cheryl wrote about uh, gravitas in the primary school or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, how, uh, you know, she, I remember her making the point that our kindergarten at Highlands is two days a week because that's enough to get it done. But you, if you, if you go much longer then all of a sudden you're entertaining the kids because you have to have filler time mm-hmm. rather than it. But what we want is them to always feel that at school, this is, this is a place where we work. Mm-hmm. Just like if I put um, 
dorm lights around my computer. You know, it just wouldn't be professional. And this school is the students' jobs now. And it's serious and needs to be treated seriously. Paul, it sounds like uh, dorm yeah. lights. Well, I, I think she's saying. Oh, you know oh, those little strings of lights, oh, like LED and you strings put them all over the place. I think, I've I seen think that. We, I I'm going to put some up on my. Well, she's <laughs> a, she's <laughs> implying well, don't put the lava lamp out. I'm, that is exactly what fired. I'm implying. <laughs> Just uh, you know, professional work environment, <laughs> professional classroom. Yeah, it seems like both of you are getting at the fact that a, our goal, our purpose, is what informs our culture. And if you make decisions that don't enforce that purpose and that mission, you lose sight of it. And that happens even with choices you make about your environment that you're in. Right. And people, you know, think that we're, because we're a curriculum company, that we are mainly concerned with curriculum. But I think we're equally as concerned with the culture, the pedagogy, the, you know, all of that is part of the classical mindset. We're, what are we after? Beauty. Mm. And so we can't have beauty if it looks like the parent-teacher store threw up in your classroom. <laughs> so, Tony, take, take us back. What about you? You taught sixth grade for a while. What I taught were, fifth and fifth, sixth. Fifth and sixth. So I had these medieval knights up one year. <laughs> suit, a whole like suit of armor. Whole, well, the armor, you Life know, size. like it pointed out. They were big po- posters, but oh. I took those down. Um, I literally ended up with just, and I was sharing with the Sunday school room too, which Mm -hmm. did make a difference, but they were so nice about whatever we put up, you know, they were fine with whatever we put on the walls. We weren't like some schools that have to take everything down, which is an awful place to be, but sometimes, you know, you have to start like that. And, um, so I had, so by fifth and sixth grades, I had very little Latin charts as needed. And, um, that. I had to have the cursive up because every time Cheryl walked in my classroom, she looked to see if my kids were using the correct pencil grip and walked around looking at their cursive. So that was up. And and then I would put, you know how, um, like the maps for famous men of Greece mm-hmm. or famous men of the Middle Ages or Christian studies would be different. So I would just put them on the whiteboard with the magnets. Oh, and I taught birds and trees. So we had one time we had these silhouettes of birds up that the kids could see if they could identify the silhouette. So that was up all year, and they would spend a lot of time there. And Cheryl put some tree things up. She taught trees for me because mm-hmm. she loved them. So, But it was very minimal because she forced it to be minimal. And at home, I really didn't. We used my kids' playroom as a schoolroom, mm-hmm. so I really didn't. I had They had their individual desks. And their workspace that I kept as neat and clean as possible. But really, I never made it a whole year with them with individual desks. I just did better at the dining room table with them on either side of me. Sure. It just worked better for us because then I could just handle both of them at the same time. Yeah. So there is flexibility in, in finding what is the best way to keep them on task. Yes. Right? And I think I've already you. said, you know, that I let my kids do school in their pajamas. But I was thinking about that. <laughs> no. Uh, did you let your kids do school in no. their pajamas? Yes. Well, no, never. I was thinking about that. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I always hybrid homeschooled. So I always, they were always in class two days a week. And so I'm thinking if they were home five days, would I have let them have school mm-hmm. in their pajamas? Maybe not. Oh. But I thought they, so they wore uniforms two days. So 
And sometimes they, you know, they'd put shorts and a t-shirt on because it was nice weather and they'd go outside. But honestly, that's just something that I just think if I had to do that again, we'd be dressed. Were you in your pajamas? No, I was fully dressed. (laughs) Well, that provokes an important question. And that is, if you're not going to allow Paul to have his lava lamp, will you at least let him come to work in his pajamas? If he's more effective. I won't, though. Mm -hmm. I won't. Okay. Uh, It was a mistake I made. I think it was a mistake. I think that, you know, it they would have been more serious maybe if they'd been dressed. Some some homeschoolers put their kids in uniforms and I can see that. When I look, you know, this is our first week of school and I look around outside, today's a cottage school day mm-hmm. and a full-time school day. And all those kids look so nice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they look so professional. And so why would you put them in a classroom that looks cartoony? When we've dressed mm-hmm. them up and said, this is business, this is your business. Yeah, even the two-day-a-week kids are look even, just as sharp. That's as right. They, they do. Yeah. They do. They look great. Well, and Shane and I were talking the other day about about sort of this topic, and I was I was thinking about it when I was homeschooled. You know, Did we y'all were, prep ahead of time, and we didn't get no, to no. Well, we just I invited you to the pre-production meeting, but you were too busy. You so. did not <laughs> pre-production. Um, <laughs> no, but he he sparked a couple of ideas in my mind. One, which was. About this thing about getting up and getting ready. And I was trying to figure like, remember how we did it when I was, when I was homeschooled and we lived five minutes from the church and mom would like to get to church, you know, a couple of days a week. And I think it was like at eight 30. And so it meant that we, we got up, we would walk to church. We'd be there for half an hour. So we, you were dressed. So we were dressed <laughs> no. and then no we'd come home and we would, you know, eat a quick breakfast and get started at nine, nine fifteen. But then what that also did, I think, in hindsight, and I don't know, maybe my family could contradict me, but this is the way I remember it, was that then the other days it meant that we got started by 9 or 9.15, mm. uh, you know, but it was also like, okay, the expectation was you got dressed because you normally, like, it, you were regularly getting up and getting dressed for church anyway. And so it was just, it was a mechanism by which it forced a little bit of formality. And I do think that's a key part is to have this structured routine. Mm-hmm. I think that's about yeah. as important as anything. Sure. Because if you don't have that, it could be 11 and you're, you haven't even started yet and your kids are running around because that would be really easy to do at home. Right. Now in the classroom, we are, I mean, even in the classroom, mm-hmm. even like their our administrators are constantly saying, your morning work can take no more than 15 minutes. Our opening assembly will be finished at 5 till 8. Students will be in their desks at 8. Morning work will take no more than 10 to 15 minutes to get everybody unpacked and settled down, especially those Mm -hmm. younger guys. And you have to move. You have to move into your first subject. Sure. Because even that can be... um, It's harder to get going than it is to stay going. Yes. So, Paul, let's address the elephant in the room. And that is, you're the director of the Online Academy. And so your students have a digital space, not really a real space. So do you really believe in the importance of a learning environment, <laughs> a learning space? Uh, yeah, I would not be spending what we spend on Adobe Connect if I didn't care about the the digital environment. I mean, it, it, it's, it's hugely important. I mean, it, it, not to go off on that tangent, but like it's the one platform that I'm aware of that I can control what the student sees on the screen and exactly how they see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's worth us spending the money to be able to make that happen. Um, and so, you know, and it's, I'm 
constantly, I mean, it's, this is something that we reiterate to teachers again and again and again. Like you, when you set up your webcam, you need to think about what's behind you. Right. Oh yeah. So they're not, they're not worried about, I mean, in, in some ways, like you think about a brick and mortar classroom, you're thinking about what the, is the student seeing, right? You're just mm-hmm. thinking about what's in front of them. But in, in the online setting, we have to think about what's behind you. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that you as a teacher, you need your dedicated space, your space where your kids aren't going to open a door and run in and disrupt the class, you know, or, you know, your, your, your background should not be your bed in your bedroom, you know, <laughs> things like that, that just to create that environment because the kids, the kids are seeing your, your, you know, your presentation, your slideshow, your document, whatever, and they're seeing your face and, you know, and so that, you know, your face and what's behind it does is indicative to the students about how much they ought to care about how how this endeavor how professional this endeavor is um and and so we've uh you know we've put a lot of work into that and also even just like the course page right so like if we want our our you know if we're asking for order and structure in the way the learning environment is well then it should be the course page should be easily navigable. Is that a word? Navigable? It is. Navigable. Um, and it it should be beautiful, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. there's uh, there's always, and that's the thing, is there's always more we want to do there. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a key thing to it, you know. But hopefully the things that we do trickle over into, you know, our students actually getting out of their pajamas in the morning. Now, granted, mm-hmm. I mean, we have students that'll, that will be taking classes at 3 a.m. their local time. Which oh, is wow. which is, because they're on the other side of the world, and but they want it so bad, right? right? Now, if they're in their pajamas, I'll I'll give <laughs> that a, right. I'll give that a pass. <laughs> My yeah. goodness, um, and, and it's amazing. Their dedication is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. But I bet you those kids are not in their pajamas. They so, may not be pajama bottoms only. Maybe. <laughs> well, that was the thing when we um, when we had during COVID the right. couple months that we were on Zoom and the kids had to be in their uniforms <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> You know, just to continue that formality. And I think Cooper, uh, Ryan's son Cooper, was maybe, oh, he was barefoot, I think. And the Mm -hmm. teacher had him stand up and you could see his bare feet. (laughs) (laughs) Because he thought he'd be safe under that desk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm curious, Paul, if your students that are, have a dedicated space for their work or the ones who work at their desk in their bedroom... If there's a difference, you know, the, we don't, we don't have necessarily that data because we mm-hmm. don't get that from every parent about what's doing it. So there's a couple of things. One is I was thinking, I would like to have all of my students to be like Harry Potter and have their space under the stairs, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and we do tell families that like, I mean, the, if, if, you know, your student needs some place where they can sit there and engage in the online class without their siblings you know, oh. being super disruptive, you know, uh, you know, around them. Um, now, some uh, some families, you know, where we've had an instance, say, of cheating and they've said, OK, this was something where we were letting our child d- take their classes in the room or do their assignments in the room. Mm-hmm. And we are moving them out to the dining room table. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just good practice with Internet regardless yes. is that it be in sure. a common place. Mm-hmm. And you can't trust, unfortunately. I mean, and and I. I'm thrilled that families trust us to the degree that they do, but you know, sometimes they're like, well, they're taking an MP class. Therefore I don't have to worry about what they're doing on the internet and they could be doing a whole slew of other things 
while the class is going on. And so being in that public place, so a way, a place that can be supervised, but a place that's not distracting is, is sort of the ideal location. Um, and so I, I don't have a good mechanism on, on that, but you, you can tell the difference in quality of work um, by, by and large, anecdotally, if we have a student that's struggling a lot, not every time, but there's, there's a significant amount of time where, okay, this just hasn't been presented to the student as this is an academic professional endeavor, not just, you know, you're getting on and watching Netflix on your sofa. It right. seems yeah. to come back to Tanya's initial point that really what we're going for is a place that la that doesn't have distraction. And really that's mm -hmm. what you're mm -hmm. also saying is that how, even though we have this digital environment, how can we try to find the place with the, the least amount of distraction? It's mm -hmm. not really an aesthetic point at that, at that point, it's more about our function and our goal. Right. Right. And, and you know, I mean, it's, it's small stuff too. Like we would rather a kid not take the class on a tablet or a phone. Technically mm -hmm. they could, the technology's there, right. but what are tablets and phones used for? What's the what's the default assumption the student's going to go to and say I'm picking this up and I'm going to do something mm -hmm. with it right we're going to play a game or we're going to watch a movie right and so we'd rather them be at a desktop which is typically a more professional thing right so I want each of you to put on your head of school hat or headmistress of homeschool hat or head of you know online school hat and you get the critique or the pushback when you say oh, I think this decoration is corny. Um, and you say it should come down. It's, it's nominal. It could be distracting. And the person responds and says, well, I, I think that this is an expression of who I am and it helps me to be the best version of the teacher that I should, that I can be. And I think it makes this space beautiful. And I think it's helping our students to engage, which I think is kind of generally what someone who is putting something like that up is thinking when they do it. How do you respond? What is the way to coach younger teachers, younger families in this journey of education towards embracing a, a more minimal focused view of classroom space? Well, for the youngest grades, it's, it's hard because um, we are able to get all of our content done in two days at the, at the, at the model schools for here kindergarten. for kindergarten. And so um, when you can get all of that content done in two days and you try to spread it out over five and most programs are five, five day programs, they need something to fill their other time. Um, so what I would say is, whereas I would never say centers or play areas in the classroom are appropriate, there are some schools that can't avoid those because they have time that they need to, to fill in the afternoons. And um, so that one, that one is very hard. Um, I would say that when you get to first grade, second grade, you will not have time for those areas. Junior kindergarten, kindergarten, you know, if they're a five-day program, they're going to need some other things to, to fill their time. Um, so you'd really but, say that you'd want to kind of isolate use of time like how how is this yes, you know, if, decor or how is it related to an educational goal and sometimes this can be easier if you have more narrow educational goals two days of programming versus correct, five or four correct and if you're at home on your two days and your work is done send them outside mm -hmm. you know there's there's so many other things they can, they can do there's so many other activities that you can do and that i could think of then um 
than spending time in a play kitchen where they can do that at home. Um, but the the biggest the biggest problem for the younger schools is most of the parent teacher store materials are targeted marketed to the younger grades. So you have some very fun and interesting things like all of the Dr. Seuss. I love Dr. Seuss. Can I just say that? But doc, there are all these Dr. Seuss things that um, are just distracting. And I don't know how a student, I when I'm in those classrooms that have all of the Dr. Seuss all over everywhere and Cat in the Hat is hanging from the ceiling, I'm I'm already nervous and wondering, where should I look first? And I don't want to pay attention to the teacher. What she's saying is hard. I mean, your classroom looks like a Richard Scary book. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and I yeah. love Richard Scary. But the Richard Scary's books always made lot. me nervous because there was so much going on. Where and I start? didn't. I wanted to see everything. And you can't see everything in a Richard Scary book. So, well, I mean, if you have a lot of time, you could, but. Um, yeah, it's just, you need to be purposeful about what is your intention? What, what do you want the students doing? Because if, if you want their focus to be on after lunch, we get to play in the kitchen, then have the kitchen set up. But if you want the students focused on, you know, this letters that makes this sound. And when I blend those two sounds together, I get a word. And how exciting is that? Because one day I'll read the books on that shelf right there. Um, it's a different setup. Sure. Tony, what about you? For the teacher that really wants to show creativity in the classroom, I would say um, that's not our culture <laughs> and it's got to go. I, I understand that you, you know, you love this. I like it too, <laughs> but it doesn't belong in the classroom and it's not who we are. What you do in your own home, that's great. Same thing with, um, you know, with the way we um, treat our students. If so, maybe at home you've got a looser environment and it's just not in you, in your personality to have to make your students raise their hands or to keep a quiet classroom. Well, that's a problem because that's not who we are. And it's not fair to the teacher that worked really hard to train those students who came before you or for the teacher that now in the next year has to has to get bring it back to who we are. So I think the important thing is that the school has a culture and that they know what their identity is and that all, that everybody has to buy into that. And it doesn't mean that you can't be who you are, but it does mean that there are certain things that just like in a job, if you if you put a lava lamp at your desk, I'm going to have something to say about it. And um, I actually have changed the decor behind my desk like four oh, times gosh, because, of because of what yeah, Tanya has said. Yes, yes he ha well now that yes, well that's because I'm on Zoom calls with you yeah. and just see the ridiculousness behind your head. Well, one time it was just, it was a parody of us. <laughs> but you couldn't tell that on the you Zoom call. Tell. I could, though. <laughs> I could. You could, I, you could decorate the door. I feel like no. the outside of the door or something. I mean, there. I don't know. Well, then it messes with your culture, too. Oh, it messes so with you, the hall, I guess. When you've got, you know, mm. you've got families coming through mm -hmm. that want to know who you are. And do I is do I want my child here? Mm -hmm. It's got to be consistent. Yeah, it's and, and be that consistent. was that was going to be the major thing I was going to bring up was consistency. Mm -hmm. And like if if 
you have to go tell a teacher, I, you know, uh, I don't think this belongs depending on what it is. It may be something where you say, well, how, why don't you come over here and see the next grade up? Mm. And this is what these kids are going to need to be ready for. And, and so let's, let's look at what the, the culture you, you need to be working to prepare them for. And that's why I'm asking you to take it down mm -hmm. and gives them a little bit of a reason for that. Um, you also um, showed me a motivational poster this morning. <laughs> is that, that behind you, your desk now? No, he wants it. He wants it behind no. my desk. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, you know, an answer, and this is, goes to like, what kind of thing are you talking about? Is it a poster? Is it a diffuser? Is it a, you know, is it things hanging from the ceiling? Your, your response is going to change. But if it's a motivational poster, you say, well, you know, I don't think everybody's motivated by the same things. And what we're really wanting them to be motivated by is truth, beauty, and goodness. And those things are going to shine out in the curriculum and they, and you know, and it doesn't need to be posted on the wall telling them, you know, and in the way we treat each they other, need to be enthusiastic, you know, the other thing we, we didn't talk about is some schools have more than one grade level teacher. So you might have two kindergarten classes. And if you don't have a consistent, if one kindergarten class is where the parent teacher store exploded and the other follows along our recommendations of being a, a, mod, a more modest classroom, there's going to be a difference in when you when you walk in the room in the way the students are. Um, I've seen it myself. And their achievement. Their their achievement at the end. You don't sometimes see that till the end of the year, but eventually there is an achievement difference. Really practical example of this is I think the first year that my wife was teaching for Jason Bora at Crescent Hill. Um, she does a lot of hand lettering, which is like writing fancy things on, mm -hmm. on paper and such. She had hand lettered all the students' names, but she, her particular hand letter that she had chosen didn't capitalize any of the letters. Oh, no. So it was lowercase. And so Mr. Bora reprimanded her, as he should, and said, please hand letter these with the capital letters. And her being a sweet lady, it was like, oh, of course. And she fixed it. But that little thing, small decision where what Emily's thinking is just how do I make this beautiful? And what Mr. Borger is thinking is how does everything have an educational purpose in this mm -hmm. room? It sends a message from the start where it's like, it can be beautiful, but let's not lose the focus here. And that was, I think right. was an interesting example. It would have been inconsistent mm -hmm. to tell the students, you need to capitalize first words, proper nouns mm -hmm. and turn around and not have that. And on the teacher has day. not yeah. done it. Yes. Yeah. That's a good example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed this conversation with you guys. I hope that you enjoy the beginning of this school year. Oh, I'm just loving that they're back. Yeah. Now we just need everybody else to be back and have all of their books and life will be good again. And MPOA doesn't start till September 12th. So oh there's gosh, people <laughs> are still buying books. Yes. I still jump in a class if you haven't started. <laughs> and on that commercial, <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.